You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. If you look at highly regulated industries, things like financial services, they are far less likely to fall victim to something like this because they have that playbook that they have to follow for every single request. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams. But there's more. We look behind the phishing <laughs> schemes. We look behind the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations, not just in our neighborhood, Joe. But around, around the, world, the world, Dave. The world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hey, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, John Wilson, Senior Fellow Threat Research at Fortra, is talking about a recent report on email impersonation attacks. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, Joe, before we jump into our stories here, we have some follow-up. What do we got? Yeah, Dave, Terry wrote in with some follow-up and some comments on episode 262. That was where I was talking about the survey okay. uh, that we did. By the way, uh, Dr. DeBura, our student worker, Jamie Stelnick, and I will be at the Maryland Cyber Conference oh, okay. on December 6th talking about this. Cyber Maryland? Cyber Maryland. That's what yes. I meant. Right. Not Maryland Cyber Conference. Cyber yep. Maryland. That's yep. the one. Uh, we'll be there. We are uh, on a panel for this survey. Oh, so nice. if, you, if you're there, stop by and say hi. All right. Uh, but Terry writes, dear, hello. <clears throat> he doesn't say dear. He says, hello, Dave and Joe. Just some of my thoughts on the comments uh, on how much Joe dislikes the jargon used by the cybersecurity community. And I completely agree. I feel like it hampers efforts to secure non-technical people. Uh, simply because they don't understand what is being talked about. And I would agree with that statement 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always tried to use more everyday terms to talk about uh, security, such as phishing via text instead of smishing or phishing via QR code instead of crishing. Right. <laughs> and I I have had this conversation about crishing for with like three or four times in the past week. Oh, yeah? Where everybody is like, this is the absolute worst. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Um. As for the term social engineering, I feel like it could be more closely related to real life since it's called con games or cons. Why not simply call them digital con games or digital cons? Love the show. Yeah, I like that. I like that too. Digicons. Digicons. <laughs> Although that sounds like a, like a digital conference. Right. There probably is a conference called Digicon. Right. And there's also that, uh, yeah, it might also sounds like something, some anime program that also sells trading cards or something. Right, right. Right. But I like, I mean, digital con games, that's fair. Yeah, the, digital con games, good. Yeah. You know, digital I'm, lies, you know, I don't know. Digital lies, not, not so much. Digital I agree cons, that I think. Look, every industry has their lingo, which is partly how they gatekeep and partly how they tell who's in the club and not. Right. And, and you know what? some of that. In, in our industry, particularly with the social engineering field, we really shouldn't be gatekeeping this. Yeah. This should be something everybody should be involved with. Everybody. Yeah. It's not something that you want to keep. It's not a club, right? We want everyone to be safe. Sure, sure. All right, well, let's jump into our stories here. What do you got for us? Dave, my story actually came from a listener. Uh, this person would like to remain anonymous, but he lives in Scotland and is from Poland. Okay. Uh, or at least I assume he lives in Scotland. He just says UK. Yeah. But uh, his bank is the Bank of Scotland. Okay. He is a recent listener and wanted to tell a story about something that had happened to him and his wife about six months ago. It was a Saturday evening, and his wife got a phone call claiming to be from uh, her bank's fraud department. 
Hmm. And it seemed legit because the scammer knew uh, the wife's name, her surname, and her date of birth. So they had all this information before they even started the call. Okay. Um, They knew what bank she was with, and they told his wife that her life savings were in danger. Hmm. So she must move quickly to move the money to to protect it, of course. Now, this is a very common scam. We see it a lot. Yeah. Right? We, we talk about it all the time on this show. Um, once they did that, they had gotten the money out of her account. Uh, they asked for her credit card details and the code on the back. So they continued going on with this. His wife was on the phone for 45 minutes, and they got all this information. Okay. At some point in time, his wife says, uh, someone from the bank wants to talk to you. And then they try to scam our listener. Huh. And the first thing they say is that there's a virus on his router and he must quickly give them his account information. Okay. Right? Now, he says he's a person that listens to Darknet Diaries and Hacking Humans. And he says, who are you and why are you calling me? He said they also say, he also said, that's not how viruses work and <laughs> banks are closed on the weekends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? But they had a response to that. They said, no, we're, we're from a special fraud prevention team, and you need to act quickly. Uh, right. But he said, no. <laughs> they work no. 24-7. Right, yeah. <laughs> so he, he said um, that he essentially hung up the phone at that point in time. Hmm. Uh, he, he actually logged into his bank account on his own and said, nope, everything looks fine. Uh, and it was a different bank. So he, he's not with the same bank his wife is. Okay. Um, so at this point in time, while he's on the phone with these scammers, he asks his wife to call the police while he's on the phone uh, and trying to stall them. And the police say they can't do anything to help. Yeah. They say, you need to call uh, or file a report with action fraud. So they hang up with the scammer and they called the bank and they blocked the card. They called the bank's fraud department and said, nope, that, please turn that card off. Those are, those are all going to be fraudulent charges. Uh, but the money was already gone out of, the, out of the savings account. Wow. It was already moved. Okay. Um, when he talked to the fraud department, they were like, well, this is the weekend. We can't do anything about it till Monday. Mm. Uh, he then looked up the Action Fraud Organization, which is a UK organization for filing complaints, kind of like our IC3. Okay. Uh, I don't know if there's anything that happens when you file a complaint with Action Fraud. Mm. I don't know if this goes, if there's a, there is a, there is a case that gets opened, but I don't know if that, if, if there are tons of cases that get open. Uh, I, I don't know how it works, but he, he, he figured out or he realized that it was going to take a long time to fill out the form, so he wanted to make a phone call instead. Mm-hmm. And he got on the phone and waited for hours to have somebody pick up. Um, and he was uh, not really successful. Then the next day, another couple of hours, and finally someone picks up, and they took all the details but said, don't try to pursue these bad guys because... They are dangerous criminals, hmm. which I think is good advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they called the bank again. The bank says, no, we're not giving you back your 11,000 pounds. That's how much money was taken out of these people's account. Okay. 11,000 pounds. Um, saying it was our fault for falling for the scam. Hmm. Now, um, this is Bank of Scotland that that was doing this. I think RBS, is that that might be the same bank. I don't know. Royal Bank of Scotland? Ro- yeah, Royal Bank of Scotland. Okay. Um, they stop taking his calls and he finds uh, that he can report the bank for acting this way. Okay. Now, I mean, here's the thing. He's, he's not a native to Scotland or to the UK. Yeah. So I think some people think, okay, well, this guy could just make him go away by ignoring him. Mm. Right. But he's persistent. Mm-hmm. So he calls the bank up and he, he, and he tells the bank, look, this is against the law. What you're doing is against the law. We notified you of, the, of these fraudulent transactions when they were happening. Uh, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna maintain this bankers' hours stuff, this is this is my opinion here. If you're gonna maintain the bankers' hours and not show up to work until Monday and then process all these things on Monday, if I call you on Saturday and call your fraud department, that's plenty of time for you to stop those transactions from happening Monday morning. Yeah, those transactions should not happen, regardless of of what your system is. Mm-hmm. Um, the bank personnel essentially buckled here and they did refund him his money. Oh, good. So he got his money back. Uh, he's he's upset with everybody involved. I understand, but <laughs> sure, you got your money back. So be happy about that. A lot of people do not get that. Um, right. He's upset with the fact that it takes uh, it takes action fraud. It, action fraud is a sixty minute web form to fill out. To, he said it has, he estimated it takes about sixty minutes to fill out a complaint form. 
and you can't get anyone to answer the phone there. Yeah. Um, and then the police were not willing to help. And he had information, like they were buying plane tickets. So oh, wow. he knew where they were going to be and when they were going to be there, and the police didn't do anything. Hmm. Uh, I would have said, you know, it's the UK. It's not the same as as it is here in the US where you where you, you have rights and stuff. <laughs> There's fewer rights in the UK. Hmm. Uh, so I would, were I in law enforcement, I would be very interested in who is getting on that plane uh, after having fraudulently purchased a ticket. Now, granted, Dave, I'm not a lawyer and I'm certainly not a UK lawyer. <laughs> well, I think but also this is a nonviolent crime. It is a nonviolent crime. It doesn't rise to the level that interests them. They're right. Know, it's police are probably overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, with these kind of things. Yeah. And really, you're you're essentially on your own here. But it's good for our listener that he got his money back and and was made whole by his bank. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'll I'll point out that I I what this reminds me of is that in a lot of cases. Uh, and I've heard this particularly coming from the UK that uh, people don't get their money back because my understanding is that the way that the law works there is that if you enable the transfer and if you make that transfer happen, right, that's your fault, right. And so the bank isn't responsible for those funds. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say this is a good reason for. Uh, doing these sort of big transactions through things like credit cards where you have the backing of you the have credit recourse, card company yeah. behind you. Yeah. I mean, well, this this is a different case. This is somebody calling uh, and impersonating your bank. Right. Right? Yeah. And what we say every time is when someone calls and tells you they're from your bank, you say, what's your extension? I'll call you right back. Right. Um, and if they say, well, I don't have an extension, you just say, can I just ask for your fraud department? Because that's what I'll do. I'll call 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 you back on the number I have for you and call the fraud department. Right. And don't call back on the number they give you. No, the number they give you is going to just, <laughs> just ring them right back. So don't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I get, I get frustrated with this, Dave. You know, here I had something interesting happen to me recently. Okay. Um, one of my financial institutions said, do you want to list a third party we can check with if we think one of your transactions is suspicious? Hmm. I said, that's interesting. Hmm. That's, I think that's a great idea. Of course, I didn't fill out the paperwork. Or <laughs> who would the third party be? I, I don't know who the third party would be. Um, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm at the age where I need to worry about that yet. But oh, I see. Right, I, right, right. When I get to that age, maybe the third party will be like my son. Yeah. The accountant. Yeah. I think I mentioned here before that I'm on a number of my father's accounts. Right. Uh, and he, you know, he's elderly and uh, we actually have triggers in place where if a transaction above a certain amount happens, right. I just get a notice. Yep. And that's, I think it's a very nice, comforting service that the bank provides, and I'm glad it's there. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, Joe, my story is a personal one as well. Okay. Uh, I saw an ad pop up on social media over the weekend, or earlier this week, I should say. Which platform were you on, Dave? I was on Facebook. Aha! <laughs> so well, this is going to be from Meta. Yeah. So the thing is, the two social media platforms I'm on are Facebook, which I think we've discussed. I just recently re-engaged with Facebook, and every time I log in, I'm filled with regret. <laughs> but but that's you know that's that's where that's where the people are. So the, yeah. I go in there to check on my friends and family and loved ones and all that stuff. And, and I feel dirty every time I do it. Can I tell you what happened to me on Facebook today? Sure. I got a memory that came up. It was from uh, after Donald Trump had won the presidential election. And it was, my, only po my only statement was, hey, Facebook, what's going on? <laughs> oh, okay. I'll see everybody in a week. Right. <laughs> or four, four years. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, you remember after Donald Trump won the election and the, in, the entirety of Facebook was either uh, right, righteous indignation or just seething about, angry seething about it. And it was a divisive event it in was, our nation's history, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, but I mean, it was only made worse by Facebook, Dave. Oh, sure. I, I mean, mean, they they absolutely took advantage of it and amplified it and sure. all that thing. I mean, look, I, I don't, you know, I don't care if you're the biggest MAGA fan in the world or you think Donald Trump is pure evil. Uh, we all got targeted <laughs> by, right. by that. Yeah, you, you got know? manipulated by Meta. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, uh, Man, Mark Zuckerberg made a ton of money that week. <laughs> sure, sure. So I'm on Facebook. I'm minding my own business. Right. And 
this ad pops up. Now, Joe, I I had the the uh, peace of mind to grab a screenshot of the ad. Ah, very so good. So if you scroll down in our little document that we share here, okay. you can see the ad. All right, you see the ad there. I do see the ad. All right, now how? Do, why don't you describe the ad to our listeners? Uh, let's see. It says half price discount for elderly p probably people people yeah. yeah yeah I will give you one for free and it's uh, Elon Musk and I do not recognize the woman he's standing with. Okay, so that woman is uh, Joanna Gaines. Okay, she is the co-host of a show called Fixer Upper. Uh, she's a she's a home improvement legend. Okay. Okay. So she is uh, she has she does these home improvement shows where she's the designer uh, and then her doofus husband Chip does all the work. <laughs> okay. Gee, that sounds so, that sounds awfully familiar. It's a little close to home for yeah. me. <laughs> so that's, and, you that's know, how my is, house got laid out. Well, this is a popular format on uh, these home improvement shows, you know, where you have the very smart, capable, attractive woman yep. and her doofus husband who you know, can swing a hammer, right? right. <laughs> and, and the woman does make good, good decision, good design decisions. Oh yeah, yeah my yeah. house is beautiful, and their show is, you know, very popular. They have a, in fact, I believe they have an entire network now. Like the, one of the one of the, you know, home improvement networks got renamed uh, because of them. So, at any rate, she right. is very well known, very popular. I'm guessing that whoever created this ad did a simple Google search and said. Most trusted celebrity men, most trusted celebrity women. Right. And Elon Musk was on the list and Joanna Gaines was on the list for who do people trust? Right. So in this picture, Elon and Joanna are standing next to each other and they're holding these white objects with green lines across the bottom of them. And right. from the look of Elon's left hand, it doesn't look like he's really holding that <laughs> at all. It looks like it's just been photoshopped in. Do you think? Same with Joanna. Yeah, you think? His right hand... Mildly convincing. Yeah. You know. So they're holding a device. It's so about the size of a mobile phone. Uh, white plastic. It's got a little green stripe, probably two-thirds of the way down it. And there's a looks like it's illuminated from behind. It looks like a white Alexa to me. Yeah. And uh, it says at the bottom, stop overpaying your power bill. Mm. All right. Okay. So there's a link there. And if you click through, now I did not click through because I didn't want to confirm, you know, that I had any interest in this whatsoever. <laughs> right. Because I knew this was a scam. Scam ads. I knew right. this was a scam. Yeah. And and I knew, I, I had a pretty good idea that I knew what this device was, but I knew the ad was a scam, no question. So I went, you know, I opened up a new tab, put in the web address and off I went. And sure enough, this is a scam. Right. So you get to the page where they're trying to sell you this thing and they make it look like, uh, you know, f uh, Fox News reports, you know, uh, government is about to shut down secret device. You know, Elon Musk agrees to stop manufacturing super device that will lower your bills by 90%. Power <laughs> companies hate him. You know, it's right. that. It's, yeah. I mean, I every, every of those little tropes are thrown at you on right. this webpage. Uh, the device itself, uh, it is supposed to be plugged into your electrical outlet, and uh, it claims to magically smooth the power delivery in your house, and that is what's going to lower your electrical bill by up to 90%. Okay, claim. smoothing out an electric the, the sine wave from the electric company does not lower your power bill. Correct. It does condition the power, and there are devices that will do this, I bet this device doesn't even do that. Basically, inside this device is a capacitor. That's it. <laughs> right. That's what's in there. Now, that... uh, I will include in the the links, uh, to, in the show notes here, the, a link to a video from a YouTuber named Big Clive. I don't know if you're familiar with Big Clive, but uh, he is uh, a gent uh, from the UK who takes apart electronic things, reverse engineers them, and explains to you what's in them and how they work. I think I've seen some of Big Clive's work. It's entertaining. If, yeah, you're, it if you're a gadget geek, Big Clive is a channel you might want to know about. And right. I, I enjoy his stuff. And sure enough, he took one of these apart. Ex one, exactly one of these apart. And it's a scam. There's, In fact, the one he took apart had a capacitor inside that wasn't wired to anything. <laughs> <laughs> Just sitting there. Right. Now, Minding its own business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's the thing. This device 
is based off of a real principle. Right. In factories, if you had large motors that were running. Right. And those motors fell out of sync with the sine wave of the power source coming to your factory. Right. That could be a problem. Yes. So they came up with a device that would fix that. This device works off of the principle of theory of that. So it is a real device in that it does something, but in your home, it does nothing. Right. Unless you're running, you know... Don't those motors have to be like multi-phase motors? Exactly. So in almost every circuit in your house, every time you plug in one of those little prongs like in the back of your computer, your lamp, everything, that's one phase. Right. The only thing in your house that's ever going to be multi-phase is going to be like your oven or your dryer. And it's going to be one of those big clunky um, chargers. Or maybe if you have an electric vehicle, that is probably multi-phase too. Right, right. Um, Because that's your 220 outlet. And that gets to be 220 by having two 110-volt phases. Yes, yes. And that has been Electrician's Corner with Joe Kerrigan. (laughs) Uh, So the reason I bring that up is I just like explaining this. (laughs) Really? Yes. So the reason I bring that up is that um, I think the folks who are selling these, this gives them cover to say, look, this is a legitimate device. Right. Here's the patent for it. Here's how other organizations use it, it just so happens that the odds of it actually doing anything in your home are next to zero. Right. The Better Business Bureau has a page dedicated to these devices. <laughs> that's that's awesome. You know you're a scam if the Better Business Bureau has a page <laughs> dedicated to you. Right, right. We'll have a link to the Better Bureau Businesses uh, page on that. There's a link I found. Someone else did a write-up on the particular Elon Musk version of trying to sell this device. We'll have a link to that as well so you can check it out. Um, part of what annoyed me and, and what prompted me to include this in this week's show is that I did the right thing, of course, which is I reported the ad right. to Facebook. Probably an hour later, I saw the same ad <laughs> with a different URL. Dave, Med is making money hand over fist on this ad. Yeah. They're not stopping it. I know. <laughs> but I reported, I report them anyway, Joe. Yep. I'm pushing that rock up the hill. That's right. I, <laughs> you push that rock up the hill, and a half hour, it was down at the bottom of the hill. That's again. right. It, and it had rolled over me. In right. the, <laughs> yeah. So I'm fighting the good fight. I have the moral high ground here. Well, and, at least you're happy, right? <laughs> well... I'm a little less sad, let's put it that way. <laughs> that was Camus' thesis, was that Sisyphus was happy. Right, right. So, uh, I, 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 you know, look, folks, be on the lookout for this. They seem to be targeting the elderly. Right. Uh, and they claim a half-price discount. What that means is if you buy one, they'll give you one for 50% off, right? So, there's, there's just, they're twisting everything around to try to get people to buy these things. And they're using all the buttons that people usually push when it comes to the elderly, trying to get them to save money, you know, stop overpaying your power bill. This device is, is going to do everything but bake cookies for you. Right. Um, so, just warn your friends and family about this. This is a scam. Um, it makes me angry that Facebook, as you say, and I think correctly so, really isn't motivated to take these down. They're not. They're just making money off of them. Yep. Um, The company who's selling them, I think they have enough cover to say that the device actually, under certain circumstances, could do something, and technically they're not lying, so the government isn't shutting them down, but it doesn't do anything. I mean, you're just throwing... You might as well throw your money out the window. Let let me put it this way. If, If a $20 device were able to save you... 90% 90% of your electrical bill. Right. Every house would come with one built in. Right. Right. Yeah. And power companies would be like, whoo, now we don't have to generate as much power right. on the grid. We don't have to build that other power plant. Yeah. We just send everybody one of these things. It's the, it's the utility companies are one of the only businesses in the world where they have to tell people don't use our product as much. <laughs> right. 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 
Uh, all right. It's frustrating. It <laughs> so there will be all kinds of links for this one in the show notes. Uh, and enjoy those. It, it is a, just, it's so scammy. It, it ugh, makes me, <laughs> makes me. It's I'm, very. It, it grinds I mean, my gears, Joe. It grinds, it, it grinds gears. your gears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like an episode of Things Dave ate. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, that is my story this week. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from William. He's got a letter from Chief Charlie Vasquez uh, from the Tampa International Airport Police Department. Okay. Uh, You want to read what uh, what, uh, Chief Vasquez has to say? Sure, it starts off, it says... Greetings. We write to inform you that after the director's meeting yesterday, we've resolved to release your fund with the service of DHL Courier Company as we've secured an immunity that will guide the delivery direct to your doorstep as the delivery will not stop nor verify the shipment on its way to make the delivery to your destination. Despite our initial hold on the fund delivery, which is above the stipulated volume of amount allowed to convene per individual $2,750,000, we deem it proper to release your fund and also give you every backup on the money since we have ascertained it to be genuine. The shipment documents and clearance papers we retrieve from your delivery agents have been confirmed authentic. Therefore, we advise you to get back to us for the delivery schedule. You are expected to reconfirm your delivery details as given below for our final verification. Name, address, telephone, nationality, age, occupation. We look forward to your timely response. Yours, Chief Charlie Vasquez. Hmm. Yeah. yeah this is a trunk box scam. Right. Yeah. It's just, you know, we're going to, oh, wait. Uh, yes, we are going to send it to you, but you, you need to pay X amount of dollars to get your $2.75 million. That's right. Right. The low, low price of $500, we will... Just right. to verify for the the who knows what for <laughs> yeah but yes you're you're correct it is a trunk box scam and uh, you ain't getting the two point seven five million dollars <laughs> yeah, you're certainly not getting that <laughs> no no William said he toyed with the idea of doing the Jake Blues thing and giving them the address of Wrigley Field <laughs> <laughs> I like that <laughs> and that's uh, good seeing how that went but he just decided now nah, I'm just not going to deal with this I'll send it to Joe and Dave and then call it a day there you go into the into the deleted folder with you yeah. All right. Well, thank you, William, for sending that to us. Uh, We would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for our Catch of the Day, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. Back to the concept of integrations. Nobefore's Security Coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs, with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. All right, Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with John Wilson. He is a senior fellow for threat research at Fortra, and we were talking about a recent report they published on email impersonation attacks. Here's my conversation with John Wilson. This is one of the sad things. We put one of these reports out every quarter, and every quarter the top line says pretty much the same thing. We've hit a new high of threats in corporate mailboxes. And I would love to tell you that, hey, it's going to dip, it's going to go down. The reality is, Scammers are making money from this, and they're going to keep doing it as long as they continue to make money. And of course, more and more of them will get into it. And so, yeah, that's, I think, that the headline there, which isn't really a headline, you know, 
man bikes dog would be a headline. Uh, dog bikes man, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that isn't so much of a headline. But yeah, the threats, corporate inboxes hit an all-time high. And no surprise to me, having been in this industry for a long time, the toughest ones to block involve email impersonation. We've gotten pretty good as an industry to sandbox attachments and do other things, signature-based algorithms as well as sandboxing, static analysis to keep malware out of the inbox. But when it comes to impersonation, that's a much more difficult problem. And we see that still that is the number one threat that seems to get through to the actual inbox rather than landing in spam or being deleted outright. Well, can you walk me through an example of this? I mean, what exactly does impersonation entail? Absolutely. So first of all, it relies on impersonating either an entity or an individual that you would ordinarily trust. So uh, very common ones uh, will impersonate, for example, Microsoft or Apple. They will tell you that there's something wrong with your Apple ID or there's something wrong with your you know, Office 365 login click here to fix the problem. And they use the branding, the logos. They will set the display portion of the email address to say it's from Microsoft Security Services or you know Apple ID Security. And these can be quite effective because our immediate reaction is, oh my gosh, I'm being hacked. I have to take an action right away. And so the social engineering aspect comes in, that sense of urgency, that sense of something bad is going to happen if I don't take an action right away. That's one form. I would say the other form, and perhaps the one that's even less understood by the average individual, is when they're impersonating, rather than an organization, they're impersonating an individual. Most common one, say 15 years ago, uh, when all of this sort of got started, would be the, the CEO impersonation. Those still exist, and they're still quite frequent. I see them on a daily basis. Someone sends an email, it looks like it's from the CEO, they say, hey, are you at your desk? I have a, you know, I have a task for you to do. Um, and usually it's either you know, run to the store and buy gift cards, or the task might be um, you know, to pay a vendor that's you know, owed money, obviously without all the proper paperwork and such. There, they're leveraging the social engineering concept of authority, right? Um, you're more likely to do something if you think the instruction is coming from the CEO. A common one that I'm seeing, though, much more often, and it's much tougher to block, and that is what we call payroll diversion. Uh, someone impersonates an employee. They're typically going to use a webmail account, um, but you know sometimes they use compromised accounts or, or other mechanisms. They'll email the payroll team, and they've usually got some sort of sad backstory about how their bank account is locked at the moment, or somebody hacked their bank account, they've lost all their money, and they really quickly need to switch the account that they're going to use for their direct deposit. Now, if you tried that at my company, they would say, yeah, go log in, use the mobile app or whatever, and, and go change it that way. But we've seen cases where um, smaller organizations in particular that maybe have not set up, uh, you know, have a, a strict set of policies and such, will actually go and based solely on that email, will update the direct deposit settings. And then at least one paycheck is going to go to that new account. And, you know, depending on the individual, uh, how often they check their bank balance, that could go unnoticed for two or three paychecks. And so that one can be quite effective. And the reason it's so difficult to block is that you're no longer just looking for the name of your CEO, your CFO, your chief operating officer, but rather you have to consider the name of every single employee. You look at somebody like myself, John Wilson, there were 14 John Wilsons in my tiny little hometown of 10,000 people, if you can mm. believe that. Um, it's, it's obviously quite a popular name. You could not simply block a message that said it was from John Wilson just because it's being sent from a Gmail account to somebody at Fortra because it could be some other John Wilson looking for a job. It could be some other John Wilson who's you know, doing sales or marketing at another company or at a partner, perhaps. And so that's a much tougher type of attack to block. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. I mean, what, what would be your recommendations in terms of best practices for an organization to not fall victim to that? Absolutely. Uh, that, that's a great question. And so it's really three parts. Uh, the first part is technological solutions. Yes, you absolutely need some kind of anti-spam filter. I doubt there's a company on the planet today that isn't using something, whether that's the controls built into Office 365 or whether it's an aftermarket uh, gateway, 
you know, that sits in front of your mail server. That's kind of the bare minimum. The next thing from a technological standpoint I would recommend is an email security solution that is specifically focused on identity deception. Most of these that are out there utilize machine learning, artificial intelligence, and they essentially build up a map of who is communicating with who, who are the individuals uh, that are typically communicating with other people within the company, and then looking at the content of the message and trying to find sentiment and looking, putting all those things together, they can start to see that, hey, this does not fit a normal pattern. Why is somebody emailing the payroll team saying they need to change the direct deposit, but they're using an account that we've never seen before, you know, be used for that individual before, and it's an external account. It's not, it's not their work account. So that's a, a, a whole class of solutions that are out there. Obviously, my company, Fortra, offers one. There are others out there. This is not meant to be a sales pitch, but I would say that that's the second layer that you need. Now, I said there were three different aspects. The first being the technology. I've covered that. The second is training. There are many different solutions out there. Again, Fortra has one. There are others as well, where you train folks to understand the risks of phishing and other security risks. And ideally, if all the employees take that training and adhere to it, you're going to be in good shape. Now, the reality is every one of these companies will come in, they'll do an initial assessment, and they'll say, you know, 53% of your employees fell victim to our simulated phishing attack. And then after they do some training, et cetera, et cetera, they say, hey, you're down to 16% of your employees are falling victim to phishing attacks. Well, that's great. You've got fewer employees falling victim. The reality, of course, is that you still have some portion of the employees that are going to fall victim, right? Because uh, you're never going to drive that number to absolute zero. And then the third thing, and I believe this is really probably the most effective, and it's one of the reasons why these things tend not to happen at very large, well-established companies, is policies and procedures. Things that absolutely must be adhered to. I don't care if it's the CEO literally standing behind you at the desk saying, pay this, if they don't provide the proper documentation, you don't do it. Uh, and so if you look at highly regulated industries, things like financial services, they are far less likely to fall victim to something like this because they have that playbook that they have to follow for every single request. An employee wants to change their payroll. Well, okay, you have to fill out this form online that you can only reach with your work account uh, on the company intranet or the company VPN. Well, you've just shut down the capability to use email as the sole weapon in that particular attack chain. Yeah, it, it seems to me like you know something as simple as a a verifying phone call. You know, hey, we got this request from you to change the routing of your payroll. Uh, I'm calling you on the the phone number that we know is you from HR, and yeah, exactly. just checking in to make sure this is actually what you want to do. I refer to that as second channel verification. And um, mm. I have a funny story about that. So um, sometime back, my mom uh, sends me a quick little um, email and she told me about this thing that had happened to her. Essentially, she got a message from her choir director saying that, um, hey, th this is really funny. You should, you should check it out. And it had some link. And of course, it was a phishing link. Turns out that her choir director's email had been hacked. The bad guy was sending the messages out of there. Now, my mom, having talked to me many, many times about scams, knew, oh, I have to validate that this really is who they say it is. Instead of picking up the phone, however, and calling her choir director, she simply replied to the email and said, hey, did you really send this to me? And of course, the bad actor was there with his fingers on the keyboard and said, absolutely, you're going to really enjoy it. And next thing you know, my mom's email got hacked. And that's kind of how I found out about it, because I got the exact same message. Uh, saying, hey, you should check this out. You're going to think it's really funny. And I just rolled my eyes and said, mom, you didn't follow my instructions. <laughs> oh, so mom. it's very important. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I worry about my friends and family all the time falling victim to, you know, a whole wealth of scams. Um, maybe I'm a little bit uh, overly paranoid just because I see so many of these in a given day. To what degree are, are the bad folks out here, the, the folks who are using business email compromise, are, are they upping their game? Are they evolving? Or, or are they sticking with the, the tried and true things that, that have proven to work for them? So yes and yes. Um, 
There <laughs> certainly are the uh, folks that are just using the tried and true playbook. I call them the lazy scammers. And we will literally see the precise, they've copied and pasted something out of a, you know, a tutorial they found online of how to commit payroll diversion fraud. And literally, they won't even change a single word in the entire thing. Those are the lazy ones. Um, and there are plenty of them out there. Um, a lot of young people that are just getting into this type of scam will follow the playbook. What we're seeing, however, is we're starting to see evidence of people using generative AI to help them. Uh, and in fact, uh, we don't have absolute proof that they're doing this. But what we're seeing are, first of all, um, we're seeing some of these scams occur in other languages. Traditionally, they've almost always been English language. They've gone after folks in the U.S., Australia, U.K., Canada, and New Zealand. And that has been the bread and butter. Recently, I started seeing them in, you know, pick a language. I saw one in Polish, Lithuanian. Uh, just yesterday, uh, there was one in Lithuanian, uh, Polish, French, Swedish, you name it. So we're, first of all, seeing a lot of that. And looking at it, we don't think, um, we had a few native speakers look at a few of these. They don't think that it was just a simple copy-paste out of Google Translate. They think that there was a little bit uh, more going on there. Uh, the other thing that sort of gave us an indication that there might be uh, some use of AI here uh, was that we're starting to see things where the backstory sounds, you know, it's not cookie-cutter. It's not cut-and-pasted from the tutorial that's floating out around the internet, but rather, you know, they're adding some unique things to it. Um, they're asking, you know, hey, how did your weekend go? Um, just little niceties that we haven't seen um, prior to about a year ago. Hmm. Uh, and that, again, it's, it's anecdotal. We don't have absolute proof they're using AI, but we suspect they are. And we know if they aren't doing it yet, they're absolutely going to be doing it. What are your recommendations then? I mean, for, for folks who want to better protect their businesses here, uh, any, uh, any words of wisdom? The protections are no different than what I just said. Uh, although the technique on the scammer side may change a little bit, the messages may be better written. They won't have the typical grammatical errors you would expect. They might occur in another language. It's still those three things. You make sure your technology stack is in place. You have your policies and procedures, and you make sure that you adhere to them, and you do that security awareness training so that your employees understand the threat um, and know how to recognize that threat. Also, of course, informing the employees to report the threat. And this is a big piece because this forms a feedback loop. These attackers typically do not simply email one person in the company. They'll email five or six people in the company, hoping that one will fall for the scam. Well, guess what? Um, if one person remembers their security awareness training, recognizes it's bad, and reports it, well, now the IT team, the security team, can go and make sure that none of the other four people have fallen victim to it. So this is, I think, another crucial thing I would add on top of my previous statements. But in terms of how to deal with the shift in um, you know, techniques that they're using, the playbook on the defender side remains the same. You know, you remind me too of something that that I think about often, which is the the environment that you foster within your organization. Where you know, as you say, putting people in a position where they feel safe and comfortable reporting these things to the powers that be, that it's not going to be a mark against them. Absolutely, and you know, um, the analogy that I look at is what happened in the airline industry. After a couple of crashes where no one wanted to, the co-pilot didn't want to question the pilot. They were more senior. And there was sort of this feeling of you don't question the pilot's decision. After there were one or two accidents where the co-pilot, if they had intervened and said, hey, uh, you forgot to put the flaps down or you forgot to do this, you forgot to do that, they could have saved that plane, could have saved all those lives. There's a corollary to that over in cybersecurity. And that is things like, yeah, it may be very uncomfortable to pick up the phone and call the CEO and ask her if, hey, did you actually send this message? But that's what you need to do. And companies need to foster that environment that, hey, it's okay to do that. Realistically speaking, at most companies, you're probably going to get the uh, CEO's uh, assistant. And uh, the assistant will probably quickly tell you that, no, um, you know, the CEO, she's often XYZ on a business trip, and I can guarantee you she does not need you to run to the store and buy gift cards. But right. um, again, fostering that uh, concept that number one, it's okay to make that verification. And also that by reporting something, 
even if you made a mistake. Uh, in fact, we found that half of all end user reports about things they suspect are phishing turn out to actually not be phishing, turn out not to be a threat. But it's important to have that second of, set of eyes look at it. Somebody who is specifically trained to look at the technical indicators, look at the, the context more holistically to make a determination if this is a threat or not. Joe, what do you think? Uh, it's interesting that every quarter it's just getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, um, scammers are profiting greatly from this impersonation scam. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's starting to attract the attention of other scammers and they're just going to get into it. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to weed out. In fact, you know, as I was writing up this episode, my daughter sent me an email of somebody trying to impersonate somebody we know. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And um, huh. they wanted they wanted her to go out and get uh, fourteen hundred dollars in eBay gift cards. Wow! <laughs> right? It was wow. a gift card scam. Okay. Yeah. Fortunately, my daughter saw right through it. Uh, but there might be people who were targeted by this scammer that that didn't see right through it. Hmm. Uh, it would be terrible if that happens. Yeah. Uh, impersonation difficult to weed out. It's it's easy to. Um, to weed out the spam and the malicious software, but the impersonation is much harder to, to prevent. Yeah. Especially if someone is crafting each message individually. It's not going to get caught by those filters. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to flag the email as the email address itself as malicious. And even then, that's not going to help you very much at all. CEO was the number one impersonated thing a while ago. People would say, hey, I'm the CEO and I need you to do something for me. Uh, now it's much more common to impersonate the average employee. I think that's an interesting turn of events. Mm -hmm. It's probably because it's much more successful as a scam to redivert people's paychecks than it is to get somebody to send out a bunch of money at pretending to be a CEO. Yeah. You could probably get a couple of um, you know, a couple thousand dollars pretty easily, as opposed to getting a hundred thousand dollars very difficult. Right. In, right. A, in a more difficult manner. Yeah, there's a good payday either way. Right. Exactly. Lazy scammers. He talks about the lazy scammers. John mm -hmm. does when, you know, the people just go out and buy the, uh, the, the scamming kits and then start sending messages out. I'll bet these people still very effective in what they're doing. Yeah. And um, it's interesting now that we're starting to see these attacks come from generative AI. Uh, and he cites some, some interesting, I, I mean, he doesn't call it evidence yet. It says it's anecdotal. I think as he collects more of this stuff, it'll stop being uh, anecdotal and start being evidential data. Yeah. But we're looking at these uh, generative AI models generating these spear phishing emails in all kinds of languages and being effective. They're not cookie cutter uh, in their in their templates, and they even have different backstories. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah. I think. I mean, this is where it's going. We've been talking about this for about a year now, and now we're starting to see it happening. Uh, so I'll say this again. Even though John thinks this is anecdotal, I think that in time, this will be much more than anecdotal. Mm. John proposes the same uh, three-pronged defense that I always talk about. That it's people, policy, and tech. Uh, and policy is the one that's going to protect you against the, the financial scams like the payroll redirection. Right. Uh, if you're a company and you get scammed into sending someone's paycheck to a, to a scammer, chances are in every court around, at least around America, you're going to be responsible for still paying the employee. That's your loss. Yeah. Right? So, um, It's also the right thing to do. It, it, <laughs> yeah, well, Dave. I'm you know, just saying, you know. It, it is the right thing to do. I know. You're how right. quaint. How quaint. How quaint, Dave. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you really want to prevent that from happening. You don't want to, you don't want to be funding these scammers with your payroll money. Yeah. Because uh, that also jeopardizes your ability to function as a business when, when payroll is the biggest expense of any business. Yeah. And when somebody is diverting a, a portion of that to their own good without you getting any benefit, it's bad. I don't need to explain why this is bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> this should be obvious on its face. Yeah. Um, so here, policy is your best protection. It's best to have something where you say to somebody who says, I need to change my direct deposit. You go, that's fine. Log into your portal or that's fine. Come into my office. I have a form for you to fill out and we'll get it done. Right. Uh, doing it over 
email is never acceptable for this. So make sure you have a policy that protects you against this. Mm -hmm. uh, training for your people, uh, that's the most important thing that you can do for your people. Make sure they know what a scam looks like uh, so they can they can recognize it when they see it. And tech, uh, of course, have a spam filter that you have to have that, right? You yeah. can't not have that. Right. And then uh, also, I like the suggestion of the identity deception detection product. Mm. Um, that, and John says that Forda has one of those. Uh, and there are other ones out there as well. Yeah. Again, we hear use a password manager. Uh, John spent a good deal of time talking about that. And John touches on something that is really, really key here. And we don't say enough, frankly. Uh, you should protect your email password like it's the most important password you have because mm. everything goes back to your email. If I can compromise your email address and get access to like your Gmail, or your Yahoo mail or whatever email it is that you use online, I can just go through all your messages, find out where you bank, go to that bank, enter your email, reset your password, and I'm in. Right. Right. The, the email is the keys to the kingdom. So protect that email password. And the best way to do that is with a password manager. And I would add multi-factor authentication to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, our thanks to John Wilson for joining us. Uh, we do appreciate him taking the time. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. The show is edited by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.